My name is Bill Crockett, and this is Touch of the Master's Hand. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for joining us again today on Touch of the Master's Hand. I'm Bill Crockett, and we are in a three-part series entitled How to Know What's Right When It's Not Black and White, Biblical Principles for Questionable Things. And yesterday in our episode, we talked about five characteristics that must be true about our lives if these principles are actually going to make sense. Those five principles were very simply this. First of all, we have to be a born-again believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. Number two, we have to have a desire to do what God wants us to do. We've got to want to do what God says. Number three, we believe the Bible is God's instruction book. It's what teaches us how to do right. And then number four, we understand that we're all accountable to God for our own actions. And as such, one day we'll answer to God for our actions. That makes what we do extremely important. And then number five, we also understand that when we disobey God's law or disobey the Bible, that that is called sin. And we don't want to do that. We, we want to do the right thing. So with these five foundational characteristics about our life, today and tomorrow, we want to look at the eight biblical principles that help us to determine what we should do in questionable situations. These are situations where the Bible does not clearly spell out what's right and what's wrong. It could, the same decision could be right or wrong. So how do we know what decision to make? Well, today we're going to look at the first four of these eight principles. And then tomorrow, in a special Friday edition of Touch of the Master's Hand, we'll look at the second four principles. Now, each of these principles is in the form of a question that we should ask ourselves whenever we're trying to determine what we should do. When we're trying to make a decision about an action or something that we're going to to do, and we're not really sure if it's right or wrong, we're not sure what we should do. So here are the first four questions that we should ask ourselves as we try and determine what's right. Question number one, principle number one, will it glorify God? Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 23. Paul says, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. So even though Paul says, yes, there are a lot of things that it's okay for us to do these things, but that doesn't mean that it's always good for us or that it's always beneficial. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31 sums it all up, where Paul says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of of God. Will it glorify God? Now, the word glory comes from a root word that means to give the right opinion of. So to glorify God with our life just simply means that we give others the right opinion of God by the way we live. That's why Paul said in verse 31 that whatever we do, we should do it for the glory of God or to give people the right opinion of God so they will be saved. The salvation of others, this is a top priority for a follower of Jesus Christ. 
Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 33, and chapter 11, verse 1. Paul says, I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what's best for me. I do what's best for others so that many may be saved. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. The first principle becomes the foundation for everything else in determining what's right in questionable things. We want to give people the right opinion of God so they'll come to know him as their savior like we have. Now, before we move on to the other seven principles, I want to pause and explain something right here that we're going to hear a lot about in these next seven principles, especially from the Apostle Paul. He's going to be referring to this idea several times, so I want to make sure that we understand what he's talking about before we actually move forward. I want to begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 25, where Paul says this. He mentions meat sold in a marketplace when he says, so you may eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience. You may eat any meat sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience. So what's he talking about? And why is this important in our study of how to know what's right in questionable things? Well, in Paul's day, people would take animals and kill them as a part of, as a sacrifice in a part of worshiping idols or false gods. Once the sacrifice was complete, the meat from those sacrificed animals would be prepared and then sold in the marketplace to the public. Many of the people who became believers were at one time a part of these sacrificial ceremonies. So any reference or reminder of that would cause them to think of their past life and in some cases probably even be tempted to go back. But more importantly is the fact that as new believers, they believed eating meat that had been used as a sacrifice to a false god was wrong, and it was offensive to them if they saw another believer doing it. If a believer in Paul's day were to eat a meal that included meat bought in the market, Paul is saying that the wise thing to do is not ask if the meat was part of an animal that was used in sacrifice to an idol. It's not wrong to eat that kind of meat. However, it may offend a weaker brother if they knew it was meat offered to an idol. So Paul says, just don't bring it up for conscience sake. Today, this may be like a former alcoholic becoming a believer and still seeing alcohol as wrong for any believer to partake of in any amount. In their mind, this was the substance that almost destroyed their life, and it's still offensive to them when they see another believer drinking alcohol. So what's the right thing to do in these situations? Well, listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-9, through 9, as he describes what our approach should be to these kinds of issues. 1 Corinthians 8, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, now regarding your question about food that's been offered to idols, yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue, but while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. 
Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. And by the way, that's still true today. Nobody knows all the answers. Verse 3, but the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. So what about eating meat that's been offered to idols? Well, we all know that an idol is not really a god and that there's only one god. There may be so-called gods, both in heaven and on earth, and some people may actually worship many gods and many lords. But we know that there's only one God, the Father, who created everything, and we live for him. And there's only one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom God made everything and through whom we have been given life. However, and here's the key, not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that's been offered to idols, they think of it as the worship of real gods and their weak consciences are violated. It's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. And we don't lose anything if we don't eat it. We don't gain anything if we do. But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. Paul is saying in these verses that when we eat that meat in the presence of those who still think of the meat offered to idols as sinful to eat, we're causing them to violate their conscience, even if we know it's okay to eat it. In this case, our love for them must take priority over our liberty to be able to eat the meat. And our maturity as a believer must be considerate of the immaturity of less knowledgeable believers. So as we look at the rest of these principles, keep this in mind as Paul references this idea of meat offered to idols. So principle number one, will it glorify God? Principle number two, what impact will it have on others? What impact will it have on others? 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Now, regarding your question about food that's been offered to idols, yes, we know that we have all have knowledge about this issue, but while knowledge makes us feel important, and here's the part I want you to see, it is love that strengthens the church. Our love for others is what helps to motivate us to make the right kinds of decisions in these situations. Listen to what Jesus said about what's really important in life. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, the Pharisees asked Jesus a question. They said, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Then in Romans chapter 13 and verse 8, the Bible says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. Everything we do as followers of Jesus hinges on us loving God and loving others. So how does this translate into knowing the right thing to do? Simply put, when considering what's right, 
we need to think of the impact that our decision will have on others before we think of the impact it's going to have on us. We need to think of what will happen with other. What is the impact to others rather than just thinking about myself? First Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 and 24. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. In these situations, we must be willing to forego our own personal gratification in order to help another believer. Paul is saying, while it's okay for us to do some things, that doesn't mean it's always the right thing to do. Listen to what he says in Romans 14, verses 13 through 21. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it's wrong, then for that person it's wrong. But if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God, and others will approve of you too. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it's wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. And that brings me to principle number three. Will it cause a weaker brother to sin? When I'm trying to determine what's right in this situation, will it glorify God? That's the first thing I need to ask. What will the impact be on other people? And then number three, will it cause a weaker brother to sin? Spiritual maturity is the result of walking with God over time, studying and learning to live by the principles of the Bible. As we do, we become more confident in our knowledge of God and his word. Now, this takes time and experience, and not every believer is at the same level of spiritual maturity. Listen to what the Bible says about spiritual maturity. First, in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, the Bible says, There is much more we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what's right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. 
Then in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 15, Paul says this about spiritual maturity. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will, be, we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Because of spiritual maturity, the Bible instructs us to be considerate of believers who have not matured in their faith to the point that they no longer feel guilty about some of the things that used to bother them. Because of our knowledge, these things no longer bother us. However, our responsibility is to help them not cause confusion or guilt in their minds because they don't understand why we do the things that they still consider wrong. Listen to these verses in Romans that describe our responsibility to a weaker or less mature brother or sister in the Lord. Romans 14, verses 22 and 23. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they've decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it, for you're not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. Then in Romans 15, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says this, We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what's right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. Earlier, we talked about 1 Corinthians chapter 8 in reference to eating meat offered to idols, and the problem this was causing among the early believers. In that section of scripture, Paul used the example that we who are mature know that there's only one God, and therefore any meat offered to a false God was not really offered to a God at all. With that said, it's okay to eat it. However, there are still some believers who haven't learned that truth yet, and they still consider that meat as part of idol worship, and it bothers them to eat it. In that case, Paul says we should not eat it. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 9 through 13. Paul says, but you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For if others see you with your superior knowledge eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience? by eating food that's been offered to an idol. So, because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. <coughs> and when you sin against other believers, 
by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. So listen to what Paul says here. If what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live. For I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. As we mature in our faith, we become the bigger person. We have to in situations where, <coughs> excuse me, where a less mature believer still struggles with some things in their life. That's what it means to consider a weaker brother. And that brings us to the last principle for today. And that is principle number four. What is the benefit? When trying to determine the right thing to do, we must consider the benefit. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 23, Paul says, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything's good for you. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. The word beneficial, the word translated beneficial here, it's the word that means to edify or build up. It gives the idea of doing something that's good for someone, that helps them. While doing something such as drinking a beer or going to a movie or listening to our favorite old classic rock song may not bother us, it may still be a point of struggle for someone else. While we realize that these things don't make us right with God or wrong with God, it still may be an issue for someone who hasn't matured to that level yet. In that case, we must weigh the benefit of participating in those activities or any other activity for that matter, when it may become a stumbling block for a weaker believer. The personal benefit is not worth the damage it may cause for a weaker believer. There's no intrinsic spiritual benefit to me by going to a movie or not going to a movie, by me drinking one beer or not drinking one beer. And Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 8. He said this, It's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it, and we don't gain anything if we do. Living our lives by a set of man-made do's and don'ts will not bring us any closer to the Lord. However, if these things can cause another believer to stumble or fall into sin, then we've committed sin if we go ahead and do them. When determining the right thing to do, we must consider the spiritual benefit of what we're doing. And will it build others up or will it cause them to stumble? So today we've looked at the first four principles for determining right and wrong and questionable things. Will it glorify God? What impact will it have on others? Will it cause a weaker brother to fall? And what is the benefit? Tomorrow, we'll dive into the last four principles for determining what is right when it's not black and white. Thanks again for joining us today. I trust you'll have a great rest of your Thursday. <clears throat> and we'll talk to you tomorrow. So long, everybody. 